0: Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world to hear fantastic stories of their journeys. and Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gears, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting bike pack adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on peddling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I am uh, today sitting in my garage, getting ready to record an episode with uh, LP Landry. He is a psychotherapist and hosts a podcast called Overcome Cafe. And I thought it'd be really great to, to get together and record an, an episode that touches on mental mindset and overcoming fears and uh, reaching, you know, achieving, uh, achieving objectives and things like that. So he, uh, graciously, uh, volunteered to bike over. So he's coming over very shortly. So I thought I'd record the intro now and try to put everything together on the new Roadcaster pro that I'm using and see how it sounds. Other than that, what have I been up to? I have been setting up the cutty cap challenge with ride with GPS. That's really exciting. It's a, um, It's a scavenger hunt, a bicycle scavenger hunt, that is taking part in cities throughout the world. Now, last year, they had it in 10 cities in the U.S. where um, Chas Christensen, one of their global partners and ambassadors, um, designed two bike caps that were then hidden in different cities in the U.S. So they, they hid 10 of them in each city, I think across 10 cities, so 100 caps total. And it was awesome, and it had such good traction, and everybody loved the event. So this year they decided to expand it to more cities around the world. And Alex uh, from Ride With GPS reached out to me and said, hey, Chris, would you like to, to take part in it and be the partner here in Ottawa and um, you know plot some clues on a map and set up a scavenger hunt? And I obviously said, yes, that sounds really cool. And so I've done that. I've, I've created the map. I've made some clues and I've shared it to him. They've sent me the hats. Now we just have to wait for this Friday The 13th, whoa, I'm going to be going to hide them that evening and Saturday morning at 7 a.m. The mats will be going live and they'll be released to you over the Ride With GPS um, portal, I guess. Um, So you'll be able to access them that way and start riding and try to get yourself one of the caps. What else? I have been building a bar in my basement throughout the last few months. It's been a very, very slow process. I've not been rushing it. And yeah, so that's, that's going down this weekend as well. I've got to get that in. My brother's coming to help me because it's very, very, very heavy. And other than that, I've been out doing a little bit of riding. So I haven't ridden as much as I would like this year. But when you have a five-month-old baby, I think that's kind of a limitation that you have to overcome. And, um, you know, I have a wonderful wife, but she's only going to let me get out so much for rides. And, and when I say rides, I mean these big day rides where I'm gone for six or seven hours, uh, eight hours maybe with the drive and stuff. So recently, um, this past, a few days ago, I guess, three, four days ago, five days ago, I don't remember, Um, late last week, I went and rode the Alamont Gravel Express. It's a route I put together in Almont, Ontario, and it's 125 kilometers, or 29 maybe, uh, with a really good mix of gravel roads, rail trail, ATV trails, some hydro cut, um, single track, unmaintained roads and it basically just kicked my ass for like six hours but it was super fun I you know I burped a tire I went downhill too hard and popped a, popped the beat a bit lost there maybe put some cuts in it and lost a lot of air pressure and I managed to get that fixed and um, had a great ride it was awesome what a beautiful day and this week is definitely the week to be riding but unfortunately I just don't have time so that is life. That is the way it goes. Um, what else? That's about it. It's been my life in a nutshell changing diapers, burping the baby, feeding the baby, you know, that kind of stuff. So, anyways, if you're listening, I, uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. This is me trying to string things together. So, on to the intro. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike touring and bike packing. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys, and through both mine and my guest experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike touring or bikepacking and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. If you're already an experienced bike tourer or bikepacker, I hope that my guest stories allow you to relive some of your own experiences and give you a good laugh or two along the way. In the meantime, enjoy the show and keep on pedaling. In this episode of the Bike Tour Adventures podcast, I've invited Louis-Philippe Landry onto the show to talk to us about overcoming our fears and how to maintain a positive mindset when things get tough. LP is a psychotherapist here in Canada with a passion for working with people that lead an active lifestyle. Louis-Philippe's professional goals is to help others overcome obstacles in order to reach their potential. A passionate cyclist whose ideal morning begins with an early bike ride, getting home for breakfast with his wife and daughter's I'm really stoked to have him on the show and share some of his wisdom with us and hopefully help us unlock some of our own hidden potential. Louis Philippe, welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so great to meet you. So, um... Tell us about yourself.
1: Uh. So I'm a psychotherapist. So uh, first off, maybe I should start by explaining. There's a lot of "psy," but the ending is not the same. So there's psychiatrists, psychologists, and psychotherapists. and psycho,
0: just and straight it's up. just
1: psycho, and yeah. which I've had two of four. <laughs> if i'm if i have to be honest when i used to be a snowboarder i used to compete as a snowboarder as a teenager and young adult and they used to call me a little bit psycho because of That's i would take <clears throat> risks mm-hmm. so i guess in that instance it would be a compliment so you're like 75% of the way 75% of the way so now I, the ending has changed so instead of doing path i'm actually a psychotherapist which is talk therapy mm-hmm. so i sit with people and talk a lot Now's so, your chance
0: to, oh, do you talk or listen? I don't know what's your, what's your job? To speak? Uh, oh, I have a little bit of a story that I've told in my own podcast on this.
1: One yeah. teacher told me at some point, uh, LP, you should, you have two ears and one mouth. So you should probably listen twice as much as you talk. Oh, so, I like that. But my my instinct, my nature, I should say, uh, replied, well, I better start listening really really quick because i'm never going to stop talking <laughs> so i've developed a little bit of an approach and snowboarding helped me for this because uh we learn from videos we learn from friends and we learn f- while observing a lot and cycling in the same way so uh, i tend to observe a lot others doing cycling and then i end up learning so the way i do therapy is i observe affect a lot so how people feel. So if people feel analyzed by me, but I have to admit, everyone analyzes everyone. So it's not a therapist yeah, thing. Yeah, it's it's just-, just that I've been trained to interpret what... Yeah. Uh, the, what the face, the affect tells us. So it's a little bit that. So that's the talk therapy. There's psychiatrist, which is a medical doctor who mm-hmm. prescribes medication, and psychologist, which is a doctor's degree, gives diagnosis, no medication. So that's the big difference between the f- four psychs. Okay. So that's what I do. So I'm a talk therapist. So I end up helping people. Uh, most of them are, like you said, uh, athletes or driven people. And it's sort of what we wanted to do a little bit also with our practice. So I uh, maybe a part of my story that's interesting is I quit a very uh, a very solid job, so probably the sum of my field, to be a father. Uh, <laughs> To my two daughters who are okay. now seven and five so I ended up quitting a hospital job which I was working full time but was not permitting me to have a work-life balance mm-hmm. so I ended up leaving that uh, because my goal was to be there in the morning to put my daughters on the bus or drop them at yeah. daycare because I still have one in daycare and to be there when they get off the bus and to go pick them up at daycare okay. so I wanted to be a, pre- a, 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 a present a, present a pe- in their lives a yeah. present in their yeah. lives Thank you for that. Sometimes I get lost in translation, it's but okay. yeah, Your English is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you, Chris. Uh, so yeah, that's a little bit of my story. I, I ended up in psych, uh, as a psychotherapist uh, because I stopped my amateur career in snowboarding. So I ended up competing until I was like twenty years old. Ended up invited at the World Cup, so I guess my psycho approach was useful. Ended up quitting oh, snowboarding, cool. and I was a closet cyclist. So, how does that work? You should see Chris's face. He's got a big smile (laughs) right now. Uh, So, I I used to mountain bike. I used to use a bicycle to skateboard to get me from point A to point B. So, I was not passionate yet, but I was always passionate about... Um, sort of going on adventures a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I would use cycling as a mode of transportation like every teenager, but my career was snowboarding and skateboarding. Mm -hmm. So it's a a bit funny because I brought this psycho approach to cycling a little bit. So um, I ended up quitting because I... Life brought me an opportunity to go to university and do what I always wanted to do, which was psychotherapy ever since I'm a teenager. So, Ended up um, studying at Ottawa U. Uh, Are you from Ottawa? I'm not from Ottawa. No. Thank you for asking. No. So I'm not from Ottawa. I'm from a small town in the, uh, New Brunswick called Edmundston. Edmundston. Okay. Yeah. So def- I've seen
0: it on a map. I've never yeah, been
1: there. Yeah. That's it. <coughs> eh? Like it, it, it's our claim to fame. It, you're probably if you went to Edmundston, you probably did a pit stop to go further down east. That's Everybody it. stops in Edmundston to get gas. So that's why we as Francophones learn English at Edmondson because okay. we have to yeah, yeah. be of service.
0: Yeah, and that's in the northern part of New Brunswick, so it's quite a French area, right, as opposed to yes. south, more south?
1: Yes, you know? totally. Uh, it's a very Francophone area, So, um, and we, we love that in New Brunswick. I think it's like, for those who are outside of Canada mm-hmm. listening to the podcast, it's a very small province, and New Brunswick is small, and it's half and half francophone and anglophone so we've learned to coexist together and usually there's rivalries between francophone it's and like Anglo- chelsea it's like chelsea totally <laughs> we both live in chelsea and i uh, my my instincts are, is always to speak english first yeah but sometimes people correct me in french
0: you know i'll tell you a secret as uh, something um, i'm actually more french than i am any well i'm 50 percent french my yeah. mom's french canadian so she's from abitibi oh. and uh, my dad's like a mix of ukrainian and uh, German and Scottish or something.
1: Really? Like that's not an issue overseas. eh? like coming from different areas and having multicultural. Mm -hmm.
0: Everybody always asks her like, what are you? I'm like, Oh, I'm a mix. Like I'm super mixed. Like,
1: but I think it's more common than I relate to
0: Ukrainian. Yeah. Because maybe the last name and, and I, I spent some time living in Russia and a bit in Ukraine, traveling in Ukraine. And I, I've always felt this connection and, but I mean, realistically, and it's funny, I'm more Do you, than you anything see else?
1: that the culture part is very. It's like I, I'm, I'm seeing you right now, like he's moving, and he's. I can tell that, you, that the cultural legacy is there. Mm. So that's a big thing, eh? Like, yeah. my cultural legacy is more of. Francophone and anything. My, my Landry's
0: ex- an English last name, right?
1: Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Uh, it's not. No, what it's is it's a that? very French Isn't name. It? Like Tom Landry, okay. his ancestry probably goes through New Orleans. Ah, oh, okay. I'm guessing somewhere because we got deported. Uh, and Louis
0: Philippe is German, right?
1: Uh, actually, it's, it's <laughs> very <laughs> German. Well, it, it, it depends on how you look at it because the the Guillaume, uh, William the Conqueror was a Norman. And But in French, it would be called Guillaume Le Conquerant. Ah. So there's a mix of French, German, and Anglophone culture. So it's funny because when I think about it, I think about French as my root. But also I understand like you that maybe I have multi-levels of culture there. So I appreciate differences in culture. I love learning about this reality of... Uh, you know what, where do we start? Like, where do I start with my culture? Where, w- what's my roots, essentially? So it's Ukrainian really was yours. Yeah. And I love that. And there's a sentimentality, sentimentality
0: there, right there. In the yeah, is- it was really like a weird feeling when this whole conflict with Russia and Ukraine started. Hold on, I'm, I'm stirring yeah, a cup sure. of coffee if anybody's wondering what's going on. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was a really weird feeling, though, because I spent three years living in Russia and just a few <sighs> months traveling Ukraine. But the time I spent in Ukraine, I felt so connected. and
1: Wow. Yeah. And it must be like, I can't even imagine what's going on. Like, I have no ties to Ukraine right now, but how do you feel about it? How do you?
0: What are we doing, therapy session now? Yeah,
1: <laughs> totally. I cannot turn it off, people. I yeah. am not I am not going to charge Chris. This is not official. It's just yeah. how I build relationships. I am curious about people.
0: Yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a weird feeling. I mean, when it all kind of started, I thought, I said, well, if I didn't have a little baby at home, I could see myself going over there. I was wow. like, I'm ex-military reserves. Yeah. I have experience. Uh, I've never been to war, but at the same time, like, I felt like I could land something through the country. However, you know, when you have a... At that time, one-month-old baby at home. You oh. kind of gotta take the, uh, the, the, you know, the do the sensible room. thing and yeah. stay home and be a parent and, um, and just hope for the best and you know.
1: And that's it. And that's I think that's sort of my feeling about it. But different, not connected. But seeing what's happening right now is very tough. And I'm sure on Russia as well. Like people in Russia who don't support.
0: The war right now? Oh, there's lots. Yeah, I have friends.
1: Uh, like, I, let's not pretend that all of Russia is... I'm sorry for going politics on on no this, worries. but uh, I'm pretty sure, like, we're, let's not put everybody in the same yeah. basket right now. I think that would be an unwise
0: decision. So let's talk biking. Totally. So you had a big ride to get here this morning? I think it like th- had to be three kilometers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the... So, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, so I maybe 5 kilometers cuz i got lost okay what i have happens? to admit i uh, i was overconfident of uh, the mapping coming here so i'm like oh i think i think it can probably take a little bit of a shortcut and ended up uh, in the dead end so uh, which is usually my there is a shortcut experience.
0: through Bronson street yes but i'll show you when you go home perfect so <laughs> i'll ask
1: directions for sure so yeah biking and the, sorry for the little sidestep there but the biking part of it um in my 20s i was sort of mountain biking a little bit there stopped snowboarding moved to ottawa started studying and ended up like Moving and just restarting my life again and quitting my career. Like it was going to be my career. Snowboarding was uh, my goal in life. So, uh, but I really much loved psychotherapy. So I ended up in Ottawa. Uh, studying at Ottawa U. Ended up doing my master's in a smaller university in Ottawa, which is called uh, St. Paul's University. So oh, yeah, I know it. I have a master's degree in what we call spirituality and counseling. Probably right now it's uh, spiritual psychology, maybe, because I'm getting that old that they're changing degrees on me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I did a, yeah, did a master's there, ended up working as a... Um, uh, a treatment ad, in a treatment center for men uh, survivors of sexual abuse, which was called in the day Men uh, Men's Project, which is now Men in Healing in Ottawa. It's a, a very known thing. So I've helped a lot of males survivors of sexual abuse uh, rebuild their lives, essentially, in doing group therapy with them. After that, I have worked at uh, a place called, very francophone, Maison Fraternité, uh, Fraternity House, which is a house where uh, a treatment center for drugs and alcohol abuse. So I did individual therapy there, work with close people of people who were using drugs and alcohol, and ended up uh, sort of building my character as the psychotherapist and getting a little bit of recognition there. Um, and then I worked at an hospital called Montfort Hospital, which is the hospital I just okay, left. Montfort, yeah, yeah. And Montfort is very, uh, very Great. francophone, uh, heavy in Ottawa. Uh, so I ended up doing um, a lot of group therapy uh, for personality, people with personality Difficulties, so borderline personality, avoiding personality, dependent personality. So a lot of uh, a lot of more deeper rooted work mm-hmm. with people. So a lot of my clients when I was in Montfort were professionals. People okay. who were hiding their suffering, send so it up like maybe two years off work sometimes, and do treatment with us. And after a month and a half, they would go back to work and live a better life. So I sort of. Tasted a little bit as a therapist how I can help driven people uh, live so better completely lives. Completely
0: off from biking, but do you yeah. find that typically, like, uh, it just might sound weird gender wise, but like women are more prone to go see a therapist and like not be so shy about it where a guy is more like i've got to be a man and shut the fuck up and no, suck uh, it up. totally
1: yeah uh, it's so well said uh yes um i know i'm not in the biking yet but it is linked to biking so i tend to tell stories a little bit later. i'm a storyteller so i'm sorry for doing doing the storyteller thing uh so yes uh if we go to biking again uh in my experience women tend to reach out to women a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But when they come to me, though, they realize it's like, it doesn't matter if I'm a guy or a girl, as long as I help them get where they want to go. So yes, they tend to reach out a little bit more. But because I'm a male therapist, I think I have access to guys a little bit more. Mm Okay. Because it's sort of a, a, oh, you're a guy, I trust you a little bit more. Um, And I ended up like, I I see a lot of guys in therapy. Uh, a bit more than Maybe a female therapist would be see guys. So there's still more engagement, women engaged in therapy a little bit more, and guys, there's this old uh, "I'm strong and I, and I shouldn't be weak" approach. So a lot of pride is linked. Like women, as you might know, do you know of Brené Brown a little bit? She talks a lot about vulnerability and courage no. and stuff like that. So very popular in the in the self help movement. See, she's a a doctorate in social work. And she talks about the males and females, how we reach out and sort of the social aspect of it, how we tend to be cultured with our masculinity and femininity. So women is be perfect all the time and don't show any... how would I weakness. see? Weak, yeah, yeah. weakness. But it's more of a performance-based. Okay. Like men, it's you have to be strong. Mm-hmm. There's one. If you're not strong, you're weak. So asking for help to a therapist mm. is weak. Oftentimes, at least perceived by by men.
0: That's why I just decided to do a podcast because I didn't want to look weak and like call you myself. So uh. I thought, let's. Uh- <laughs>
1: <laughs> well said, well said. And so, uh, and that's it. And I'm glad, like I'm I'm glad that I get to talk on your podcast. And I hope that males listening to this hear that you're not weak if you're asking for help. Mm. Uh, I I don't think I'm weak because I I cry when my daughter tells me something that makes me sad. Mm-hmm. Like I can have a tear and don't think I'm weak. And, and I just a challenge for males out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if crying is weak, why is it so hard to do?
0: I have an interesting story and I, I don't yeah. think she's going to listen to the podcast, but this, uh, <laughs> this friend of my wife, she is, she is Persian and wow. <clears throat> she's like, Oh, but she went out with this guy and she's like, I don't like him. He's, he's too weak. He's not a man enough. I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. why is that? She said, well, he told me a story and he cried. I was like, well, that's, that takes a lot of strength. Like, that's being really vulnerable, where a yes. lot of guys, you know, they quietly wipe the tear away while totally. nobody's looking. And, like, to actually have the courage to, like, tell a story that is meaningful to him and, mm. and actually have tears shed in front of you, like, on after you know each other for such a short amount of time is huge. Like, this is totally. a guy that, like, this is, like, this is something special. Like,
1: and uh, no criticism to your wife's friend, but uh, if you don't have a guy that's courageous enough to cry in front of you, you might not uh, you he might not be the best father <laughs> mm-hmm. I have two daughters at home and i'm not it's not a performance thing yeah. uh, but if I'm not comfortable with my daughter's sadness, how can I parent my daughter mm-hmm. If I freak out because she is sad uh, or I pretend and I send her to her mom like I'm teaching my daughter that emotional proximity is not attainable with a male, right. her father, right? So I think we're shifting there. I think it's it's changing. Like ten years ago, when I did therapy, people would come to me and ask me for help with self esteem. Yeah.
0: And I'm gonna jump back to the biking. I think yeah. I see where you're tying this in in a sense because I'm gonna I'm gonna guess here, but I think perfect, Chris. When I'm on, I mean, I've been on big bike rides, yes. not in a big group, but like with one or two friends. Yes, you have some really deep conversations totally. where all of a sudden, maybe because of you're putting out this strain and you're putting your mental and Physical effort into the pedals that you you kind of let your mouth go and you actually talk about things that are they're meaningful and deep. Totally, and maybe that's a guy's thing, you know. Like I don't know.
1: I think I think it is, but I think as well, there's the distraction of doing something else and realizing that being vulnerable is not that dangerous. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. It, it, it's all about we're all different, eh? Like I'm. And the cycling part. So the cycling part, I'm going to tie in. We're getting there eventually. We're getting there eventually. So (laughs) sorry about that. But when I go cycling with a few friends, like the deepest conversations, like we could probably change the world in that moment, the way we talk about deep stuff. And I think there's something about uh, doing an adventure together, like co-laborers on an adventure. Like that's what I'm gathering from your example right there. Um if I go with someone one-to-one, I'm sure I'll have a deep conversation. If no, I definitely. go in a group, then it's more about group management, more mm-hmm. um, being aware and being more uh, careful, if you want, uh, in the group dynamics. So it's different. and There's different types of personalities. Yeah. Therefore, there's different types of conversations and not everyone is comfortable trusting uh, everyone. Other group members with their stories. Yeah, whereas on individual level, trust is a lot easier to build. Mm-hmm.
0: And typically, if you're going riding individually with somebody, it's somebody you already are know fairly well and you're comfortable with. So
1: totally, totally. So, <clears throat> How would you like to bring me back to cycling now?
0: Oh, I have no ideas. Have you done any previous bike tours or bike packing trips?
1: That's a great. Uh, that's a great one. No, I haven't. So I'll, I, but I am planning one. Oh, yeah? What are (laughs) you planning? I'm planning on next year going to Edmonston and back uh, to Ottawa. So, Ottawa, Edmonston, and Edmonston, Ottawa,
0: back. How far is that round trip? I know Quebec Uh, and back is 1,000.
1: 1,400 kilometers, maybe fifteen, depending on, because I am calculating the navigation (laughs) part of it, but uh, 1,500 maybe.
0: And is that going to be with the girls or just solo? Solo, uh,
1: because I think with the girls, it would be probably a, a bit too much for them might be
0: the whole summer. <laughs> it might be the whole summer.
1: So solo, and I think I would meet them there. So I would leave probably, um, I'm guessing maybe four or five days before them.
0: Oh, good. So you're going to make a good push of it. A good push yeah, of yeah. it.
1: Yeah. So I'm aiming at doing 150, maybe two Perfect. Uh, a day.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, so that'll be next year. So that's why I was interested in coming and sitting mm-hmm. here. I don't have a ton of experience, but yeah. I am preparing mentally for that. And are you
0: going to camp, or is it going to be like a credit card tour?
1: Oh no, not yeah. a credit okay. card tour. I'm going. To, I'm going to camp. So that's going to be the part that I want to do. Yeah. And I think you have a few questions on the camping part of it. Uh, no, <laughs> no, perfect. <laughs> so, so maybe uh, maybe that'll be it. So my preparation for it is very much me applying what I know. Know about relationships mm-hmm. and in psych- psychology and uh how I help people cuz that's one thing I don't do something the microphone
0: keeps dropping on me it's really awkward
1: <laughs> I don't do something I don't prescribe something to my clients that I don't do myself so that's why I, f- I thought today would be a great oh that's really cool conversation with you
0: so I'm um, one thing I, I mentioned I I kind of when I sent you some thought-provoking questions or things to think on, um, you know, often when I'm on my bike and I'm pushing, whether it's a long day or a short ride, and I'm mm-hmm. just really giving her, um, you know, head down, legs spinning. Um, I feel like I really get into like a flow state where, yes. you know, some friends they do, you know, yoga and um, meditation and stuff. But I've always felt like when I'm on my bike, that is my meditative state. Like, totally, everything is just in and out. I don't really remember what I think about, but I know my head is just spinning nonstop. What's what's actually going on is there I
1: mean, Well, there's a, a lot of research on this in uh, in social psychology. So um, <laughs> I'm going I'm probably you you're going to be able to correct me, but Mihai Csikszentmihalyi <laughs> is uh, an American uh, psychologist. Uh, I forget where he is from. I think Russia maybe as well. So What's his might- name again? Csikszentmihalyi. I had no idea. Uh, So he's the the creator or the observer of the flow theory. Okay. So what he came about is um, the optimum level of mastery. It means you're really good at biking. That's what it means. Uh, That's a great compliment. It's a very good compliment on you. uh, Because when we have enough challenge and enough mastery of something, it's almost as if we're not thinking. Almost. It's so fluid, like seeing great... Great cyclists like the pedal stroke. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it's really choppy and ugly, but I I'm sometimes I like to sit back in the group just because I want to I want to slipstream a little bit and I'm lazy or I'm not as strong as the other cyclists in front of me, which happens to me a lot. I'm not as good. I'm good at cycling, but I'm not great. So, and I tend to ride with stronger cyclists than I, than me. So sometimes I slipstream with them, but when I slipstream, I love watching pedal strokes. Mm. Like for me, that's m- sort of my medita- meditative mood. But l- watching pedal strokes because it's and I notice when somebody's a really great cyclist by the pedal stroke. Like it's uh, and seeing an ice skater like. They they skate and they make something impossible look yeah. really easy.
0: For me, it's, it's cross country skiers. When you see like a, an eighty year old man on cross country skis and he's gliding so beautifully and blowing past you like you're stopped and totally, I'm, and I'm just there huffing and puffing totally, and you're just like how does that person make it look so easy, you know?
1: And that's a flow state. Yeah, you're seeing a flow state right there. Uh, uh, and I, I and this is where experience plays a lot. Like I remember starting uh, starting cycling at. 30 beginning of my 30s i I really got into cycling at that point and there is a great story there we we might not have time for that one but uh or we might i'll let you guide chris on this Uh, but i have uh, lots of time yeah good uh i remember i used to cycle and I have this stereotype of mammals like oh mammals it's just people who go once in a while mammals are men uh, middle-aged men in like right? yeah, so I'm yeah. a mammal uh, I am now a mammal myself I am not middle-aged yet but I'm getting there and I'm I want to graduate to that mammal state but I remember like starting cycling and th- thinking was that's going to be easy I've done a lot of running and I've done mountain biking so but I started road cycling uh, and I bought my first uh, Cervelo S2 Uh, so I decided I wanted to be quick at work because I wanted to commute and this is where I started to cycle very much regularly Um, and I remember observing the mammals And seeing like this guy at 60 and I could not keep up with that guy on my Cervelo S2 aerodynamic. So I realized like, wow, this guy is not even pushing. He's in a, he's in the flow state. So this is where psychology meets cycling for me. Um, what you're describing there is sort of a meditation state and we've talked about it. Like even they're doing research on mindfulness right now on flow states and how it applies a little bit to meditation as well. And it is, It is sort of a meditation state. Sometimes I get
0: stuck in my head though. And I, all of a sudden I look at the speedometer and I'm just like, my speed is dropping. Yeah. Because I'm like thinking of different things and I'm like, okay, time to focus a bit again. And yeah. And that's
1: the, that's probably a little bit of the vigilance kicking in. Like you're, You're aware that, and and flow states are like that. You come in and out of flow states instead of being always a a zero, one approach. It's not, oh, I have zero flow and I have one flow, so full flow. It's more of when I hit this moment. So when you come back to yourself and noticing your safety, for instance, it means that mastery level has gone down. When we fear something, fear tells us something. Yeah. It's not a, this evil thing that we should always overcome, <clears throat> which is, a, it's actually more of something that I learned to walk with.
0: I think the first time I heard of, like, putting a thought to this flow yeah. state was um, first year university psychology. A yeah. teacher talked about when you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I've gone 10 kilometers, but I don't remember anything. He says yes. part of it too is your brain is absorbing this information that is useless information and it's just wiping it clean totally keeping you like but as soon as you have to touch the brakes or anything boom you're aware and you're, and that's you're still the, there right? and
1: that's the attention and vigilance right there so attention is where you put your focus on and vigilance is what really brings you back ropes you back mm-hmm. in to full-on attention so that's a great a great example right there um and that's exactly how you go in and out of a flow state. It yeah. uh, happens to me all the time like i i I, I lead, but truly there's always a little bit of truth in joking for me is i i I say to people, I was built to move, I was not built <laughs> yeah. not to move um so again, I probably meditate more on the bike. Than I do sitting down at home. Which is a great skill to acquire as well. And being bored is actually a very complex skill. So that's what, uh, and, and we. The kids don't learn anymore. The kids don't learn. And we lost as well yeah. as adults. Like I tend to play with my phone a lot. Yeah. I'm robbing myself from being bored. And being bored is a moment where you take a step back and your brain cognitively processes a bunch of information. Like you just gave in your example right there, the brain likes to clean stuff. It, like, it doesn't like to keep unnecessary uh, information. Like it doesn't like to, like the brain really wants to clean itself. So when we are bored, we actually are letting our brain clean itself. Okay. So when we go on the phone, we're telling our brain to focus on something else.
0: Even if it's for 15 seconds. Or- yeah,
1: Instagram, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Oh, I'm, And I've noticed myself, my phone has become uh, work. Like I work from home now. I, yeah. I I left the hospital. It was it was starting to do psychotherapy at from home, and I do online psychotherapy. So I'm always on my phone and I'm always working. So I've noticed, and even I I did that like detoxing a little bit from this endorphin hit yeah and which it doesn't exist if you listen to andrew huberman i I saw a
0: message like on my phone the other day and it was like you used your phone 10 hours less this week than last week i was like holy shit i was on my phone (laughs) 10 hours more than the amount of time i waste this week like that's insane
1: and and, and it's crazy eh? i'm so glad that apple did that yeah like I have an Apple phone. The and Samsung that's too. A Samsung yeah. too. So th- that's it. Like I'm glad that the phone companies, like we always put them on evil corporation because they want their money, our money. But let's be honest, they're not e- always evil or at least if they're forced to do this for us, it's good. Because uh, yes, it, it, it's my weekly evaluation of me being me working too much. Yeah. Like I, I, sometimes I need external reminders to not work too much and on phones I work if I do a social media post yeah regards to our podcast to our uh, my practice because I I, everything I do is online yeah so that part is like me having attention divided somewhere Um, and I think this example of biking for me is I love, every Wednesday I go on what I call um, Wednesday adventures. So I take my bike, go for, for long bike rides every Wednesday because that's the day I don't work. Ah, okay. So I end up, like, um, doing my longer training rides on Wednesdays. Are you week. on
0: ro- road or gravel? What are you riding That Gravel.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I ride most that's of gravel. That's today,
0: huh? So I'm kind of screwed this over for you,
1: huh? Uh, but <laughs> I, I'm already, I'm not even like I'm, I'm actually recovering right now. So okay, that this is good. Uh, and I would not, I, I'm comfortable saying no. So I would have said no, but so it is a pleasure for me awesome. to be here. Uh, so, yes, I gravel. So I ended up less. So I'll, you want me to tell my my cycling story now? Go for it. So my cycling story, I, I'm from a family with a uh, history of heart attack. So uh, so an in- interesting part of my story. So I was born in a family where my father passed away when I was a baby. Um so, yes, I've done the therapy of myself, people. So before you think I'm sharing deep stuff, it's just normal for me, that part. I've processed this, so that that's why. So my father passed away when I was a baby. I was three months old. He passed away from... Heart attack, but linked to a disease, so hypercholester uh, hyper hypercholesterolemia, yeah. oh. essentially high cholesterol, but chronic and genetic. Okay. So my grandfather passed away. He was forty. My father passed away. He was thirty five. My great grandfather passed away from all from heart attacks. So all, that's why I kid that I should. I'm built to move. Darwin
0: is darwinian darwinian <laughs> right there
1: right there like evolution uh, maybe my family was causing too much trouble so evolution decided to take care of us but I maybe mean, we're too much psychos but but kidding kidding aside i know it's dark humor but and uh, this was a great motivator for me to keep moving all my life so i was uh, an active young man grew up active and then ended up at university and I stopped snowboarding. So I was less active. So while, and I was not taking medication, I should take medication. And uh, for the rest of my life, I take uh, maximum levels of uh, statin drugs, which is to uh, modulate the cholesterol in my um, oh, okay. stomach and le foie, what, uh, uh, liver, liver. So a part of it was like, okay, I'm, I'm actually, I went to the doctor. The doctor told me you're at, you're at dangerous levels. And I had taken maybe a little bit of weight at that point in my twenties. So maybe 15, 20 pounds, which is not a lot for most people, but for me, deadly. So I, at late twenties, 27, I met my wonderful partner And I started to not be as selfish anymore. Mm. So I started to jog again, started to take the medication again. But I didn't like, like I missed cycling at that point. I realized that my closet cycling was actually more of a passion than I thought. Mm. So I started at 30, 31, 32, approximately to mountain bike again. Okay. Um, I didn't compete. And this I was... I I was missing a little bit because there's a competitive nature to me. Yeah. Uh. So ended up trying the commuting part. So I did single speed for one year. Oh, cool.
0: I've never done that. Yeah. Uh,
1: it, it was fun. And uh, Hats off, like to all the single speed like travelers out there. Man, you guys rock. Because I did that for a year. Uh, it, it was too tough for me. Uh. So I ended up doing uh, buying a road which is the cervello that, that I bought and ended up like, really, I loved it. I, I used it to commute in the morning and in the evenings I would go 50 kilometers a day in the beginning. And people were like, Oh my, you're it's far, but it's <coughs> nothing yeah. compared to what you do, Chris. Yeah. And I started getting good at it. So kind of good at it. And I was like, Oh, maybe that's the snowboarder in me again. So ended up like really enjoying road cycling at that point. I love the distance and that's the thing. I love adventure and I love distance. Um, So my health was actually getting better. So I lost the 20 pounds that was deadly and the doctor told my wife at some point because my wife was with me at that point. If he doesn't take care of himself, he's going to die. You know that, eh? So that was a big... So you
0: have like a medically prescribed excuse to go biking all the time medically prescribed (laughs) so that's it
1: dr sharma thank you so much if you're listening prescriptions
0: (laughs) yeah can you write me a
1: a prescription for that uh she didn't write me a prescription but she did put the fear of god in me (laughs) and say you know what you should you have to bike okay so i started to (laughs) bike at that point really and it was prescribed so at that point i was becoming a father
0: Before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes, and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Fat Bike, the Canada Gravel Bike, and the Taiga Mountain Bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way, while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from panoramacycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to panoramacycles.com. Now, back to the show.
1: And I didn't want my children to tell the same story as I just told everyone on your podcast. So, ever since that point, I've really taken... It's a passion for me. I'm even more, sorry, psychotherapy, but I'm even more passionate about cycling now than I am about psychotherapy, which I do love psychotherapy, don't get me wrong. But I discovered a love for it that I never thought was there. I love cycling. I love road cycling. I love mountain biking. I don't have a
0: road bike anymore. I miss it a bit, but I have the gravel bike. I have a second set of wheels I can switch off, you know? And
1: that's my next plan to be to be honest with you. Like, I think uh, N plus one, I need to do N minus one because yeah. I I have to admit I had too many bikes. So and I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking, at, I'm looking at this garage. We're in the garage right now and I'm looking, I'm like, yeah, it's totally. eight or
0: nine bikes there, but a couple belong to my wife.
1: <laughs> yes, that's it. That's it. I, and I think that's all the discussions we need to have is like, yeah, yeah, but my, my wife has got hers as well. So, yes, I, I I, and and at that point, I, I discovered that gravel cycling was sort of a place where I was kind of good at and which ended up like with the pandemic and everything. I had more time cycling. I was not all my mm. own boss. Yeah. Um, and my clients were either cyclists or cyclist
0: fans a lot. So did the the transition to your home practice away from Mofort hospital, did this come down with the pandemic? And was it like, was part of the reasoning for that well because you were working from home and you said hey I can make this work or was it something related to I want to just I want more free time I want to be able to manage my own time and not work 40 hours a week
1: as you just told me I was prescribed cycling as a, <laughs> and it, it was true and at that the last time I got confronted by my doctor I wanted, I, was, I was at my lightest Okay. on the cycling on the bike. So I decided I'm like maybe this is still not genetic. Maybe I'll try it one more time. And that was the last time that I tried doing non-medication approach okay. to my cholesterol management. So uh, ended up not taking medication, doing my tests and still coming up. And I was not I, I I'm at that point I was eating meat maybe once a month. Okay. Uh, and the do- and we ended up doing taking a day out of it, going to the doctors, at which I was expecting good news. And my doctor literally sits me up in front of my wife and now daughters and says, and gets really angry at me and tells me, LP, you cannot do this anymore. And she looks at my wife, second. I think it's the second time, and she says, do you know you could have died? Wow, <laughs> so, okay. So, so, wow. so dying is a very much... A, 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 a real thing for me. So the medication is like medication, no compromise. You must no take com- it. I must take it. So there's and no compromise. Other there.
0: fitness aspects on top of that. Totally. Just so. is just multiplies the benefits, right?
1: And the body is, is it's, a, it's a funny thing. Medication doesn't heal the body. Medication puts the conditions so the body heals itself. So if you think about it, you have to do everything in your power to let your body heal itself. Right. Resting, Going on bike, uh, eating well, like having your personal spirituality, meditation, stuff like that. Uh, So I decided that I would do more because I heard uh, of a psychologist on the Quebec side that had like phase phase three, phase four cancer. And actually... Uh, ended up doing chemo, doing everything. And he was like, he's the one that sort of instilled this philosophy of, yeah, the the body heals itself. Medication just puts the the structure Mm -hmm. to permit the body to heal itself. So that stuck in my mind. And this was the last argument I needed to take the medication. And ended up, like to answer your question, very long windedly is, At that point, I had given my, uh, Montfort was going to move um, my services to another location. So, and I knew that I had gained experience. So I was more of the one of the senior therapists at that point. And they wanted to keep my knowledge, keep what I could do there. But I told them I'm not going to bike. I think it would have been probably like 75 kilometers a day. Yeah. In the winter because I was I, were I commuting
0: to the winter, I nice. was
1: commuting in the winter. So I would be biking all year. So I sold my car, decided that I would listen to my doctor sold my car, uh bought probably a second bike at that point, and plus one, and which was the gravel bike. Okay. A uh, cyclocross ish. The gravel bike so when this is when i tasted gravel are when you I still was,
0: car free or do you guys have any vehicles at home
1: I, we have one vehicle okay, so we're living at, in
0: chelsea you kind of need you kind of need vehicle, it. It, yeah.
1: it it's still a little bit a uh, small town with more people now it, it, it's sort so of the seal
0: freaking hendrix farm people yeah i know like it's <laughs>
1: us us and a few neighborhoods but yeah. it, 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 totally and the hendrix farm is there's still more people coming, so yeah I yeah. think it surprised us a little bit because we were early f early buyers, and now we're surprised at the amount of people there is in Chelsea now. So it's a small town with a lot of people coming in, a lot yeah. of new new people moving to Chelsea. So still yeah. not
0: big in the grand scheme. It's probably ten or twelve thousand. Totally, that's, that's, it's a small town. You know, like yeah,
1: you move. Well, we you moved to Chelsea to be quiet you don't move to Chelsea to be in a big town. So we have to keep one car in our family uh, and that's the best we could do. And it's also me respecting a prescription from my doctor to keep moving. Like I, that, that was it. I, I, I had to keep moving. So I ended up in the gravel scene a little bit and I am not a, a competitor. So like the thing that I bring to gravel is relationships I don't pretend like I'm this best athlete. I'm not a bad cyclist. I'm an average above average cyclist who focuses on relationships and emotions. Uh, so what I did naturally I'm also
0: just an above average cyclist. I just have the ability to go for a really long time.
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> it. And I'm hoping that I, I get there because that's my next goal. Like that the the adventure part, I would like to be able to go and I love adventure. I want to learn that part a little bit better, and but without the graveling part, I don't think I would have been interested as okay. much. Yeah, because I was a road cyclist, ended up into gravel, and probably my best claim to fame in gravel is Grinduro, and being one of the last finishers where like mo- more than half quit.
0: Oh wow! Okay. But you actually finished. Yeah. So I,
1: f- I finished. Yeah, I actually finished. Uh, it talks about my driven nature a little bit mm-hmm. and the competitive side. So I decided that I would come back to competition a little bit. So this year I'm aiming at two or three competition. So I
0: think this transitions well to mindset. So yeah. in both in terms of your mm. own and mine and the fact that like I've been in those situations where everything is going wrong. Oh. And for some reason, I don't stop. I just yeah. I, I swear a lot out <laughs> yeah. loud a lot. If somebody's walking by, they think I have like a oh, what's that thing where you just swear? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. syndrome. They'd be like, damn, this guy's got like a he's vulgar, got Tourette's. He's vulgar." Like, um, but I refuse to give up. Um, totally what is it why why like how and how do we work on developing this as well like if somebody's out there and it's like wow how do you do that there's an,
1: there's an aspect of uh, anger that i think is very useful in cycling because anger does produce a lot of adrenaline and stuff like that um but ad- adrenaline is depleting when you think about it so if you're going to be angry be angry at the end of your ride uh-huh. <laughs> if I have a suggestion, very practical yeah, yeah. one for you. Uh, the rest of the time, it's actually self-regulation to enjoy, to have more endorphins and yeah. more. Um, and one, I think one of the questions you had for, I'll let you ask it later on, sure. but the camping one. Mm-hmm. So I thought of how to use relationships to better enjoy. So my trick when I end up doing a long activity like that and I get frustrated. Uh, and and no, uh, no disrespect to the Granger last year, but uh, in key areas did, at almost 40 degrees, the organizers yeah, didn't the have leather. enough water. Ah, uh. So in, I had my Camelback... And I, I decided to leave it because it, I didn't want to carry the weight. So I ended up, because I was assuming that there was going to be water. Right. So that's why a lot of people dropped out.
0: I've run in that situation in Malaysia, living there for so long, that where it's 35 degrees and 95% humidity every day of the year, basically. Insane. And I've been in a few races where just poorly organized or not thought out in the sense that they ran out of the water and...
1: And that's an essential. So, no disrespect on the people. Like, I think they had great hearts. uh, But it was for us, it was very difficult last year, a little bit. Um, And it's funny because when I was about to get angry, I started to think of my daughters. Because I knew at that point, if I get angry, adrenaline depletes. Okay. I didn't know that. And if you're going to be angry, do it at the end because you're probably more prone to bonking because you get angry too early. Yeah, It's a very much a strategic thing. And I know some, had, some athletes, uh, even my friend Matt manages anger in a way that is, uh, Matt is mass searches, uh, my co-host and our podcast. so that, uh, And I know he manages it in a way that he, he's like uh, he's his own version of himself. But we agree on this, both of us, where uh, it should be fun. And the fact that it's fun, your body tends to respond more positively to that. Okay. And you perform better. And if you use the anger
0: at the end, it could be that extra adrenaline push that you need just to to get to the finish line, right? To
1: get to the finish line or to to win with someone that is your worthy adversary. Yeah. Uh, If winning that race is important for you... then use it wisely. That's what, how I would say it because you could bonk afterwards.
0: Okay, so you said part of, so part of the mindset rather than rather than focusing on the thing that is making you angry, mm-hmm. find something in light of it that could make you laugh or feel feel good feel good because
1: uh, one of the things that um, social uh, neuroscience is telling us is actually relationships are uh, soothing. So if you think of a positive relationship while doing that activity, your body is not going to be depleted as much.
0: Okay. Yeah. I've had a few people talk about that saying that they, when things are tough, they just start to laugh (laughs) or like, it's like the person who's awkward. Like they're at a funeral and they start laughing because that's how they deal with grief or yeah. whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, know, I'm so. laughing right now. <laughs> so maybe the, they're Christmas on the a big bike smile and right now, so I love that. and they're, they're laughing their ass off, you know? And you know
1: what? Right now, it's also an aspect that of writing so, uh, solo or two, three people. It just happened live. Like your mirror neurons, which is the neurons that mirror the emotions and the affect yeah. of people, actually can produce... Uh, serotonin and endorphins, which is what much less taxing on your body, mm-hmm. and it, get, it provides a boost and energy. And you're right; your example is, a, is very correct. Starting starting to laugh is mechanic; it's an external thing, even though it's your smile. Yeah, it, it's for your body; it feels external
0: because
1: mm. you're doing a behavior, yeah. um, and it, the body will produce the chemicals that. Will help you feel better at that moment. Okay. Um, but my method of, of using that is, I don't do anything at super superficial level. Okay. So I always go a little bit deeper. So for me, it would it would not be laughing mechanically. It would be to think of a good moment with my daughter and an actual good moment, okay. being mindful of that, and have all the effects of that positive relationship, because. The body is going to react to that. That image in your brain will produce the hormones and the neurotransmitters that you need to, to keep advancing. If not, okay. like I said earlier, the body likes to wash. Like the brain likes to wash itself, eh? yeah. So if you have anger too early, which is totally normal, by the way, you're not going to be perfect on this. I'm not perfect on this. I get angry as well. Uh, it's just that I, I make sure that I catch it early. So it doesn't deplete me later on. Okay. So in grindro it was a lot about that thinking about relationships. Uh, I, I was dehydrated a lot, but at some point some neighbors thought we they took pity on us and they went and bought a bunch of water for every cyclist that made it through their house. Oh wow and they would ever a stop. And me being from New Brunswick, a thing that's very common in New Brunswick is we are relationship people. You go there, you're from whichever place people will accept you as you are. And if you're in trouble, like this is the best place to have trouble with your car or your bike because you can ask for help and it's normal there. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I'm never shy. I'll stop at people's houses, knock on the door and say, hey, can, I, can you fill up my water bottles? Like Totally. All the time. And how do people react to that? I've never had a person say no. Yeah. Yeah
1: like and that's exactly what happened in grinduro for us like these people were seeing us struggle and suffer and this is suffering it's not discomfort at that point yeah because if you're dehydrated i am sorry most people will suffer i've knocked
0: on people's doors and asked them if i could put my bivy bag in their yard and sleep for 45 minutes yeah Yeah. (laughs) they're like oh that's crazy but go for it oh that's so nice and that's the, the part
1: like they gave us the water that relationship the water was feeding us as well, but also the fact that they did something kind ah, for us. Yeah. So that relationship motivated me probably for an extra 10 kilometers okay. as stupid as it sounds. Yeah. Like it, that was a 1600 108 kilometers and of plus 40 dehydrated probably at the first stop. Mm-hmm. So those relationships fueled me to go further. Um, so that's something that I use in cycling as well. So when I have a rough day, like a rainy day, that uh, that it's not working like I had planned, which is almost every long bike ride. Yeah, uh, I start thinking about my my relationships.
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah,
1: and I I have that effect, and I'm sure if you try it a few times.
0: Well, like, I'm, I'm a special case. Um, yeah. So you know, you were saying face. like just imagine and picture whatever. Mm-hmm. When I close my eyes or if I picture something, it's nothing. It's blank. Like I nice. remember my first year of psychology teacher having us sp- like everybody close their eyes, raise their hands if you can't picture a pencil in front of your face. And after he said so, in the whole class there was about one five people, which was one percent. There's about yeah. five hundred. He's like small percentage of people where if you close your eyes, you see nothing. Like it's just a blank slate, like blank. Nice. And so that's me. Um, I but see let's, nothing. Let's do
1: the experiment again, okay? And let's give valid validity. Are you willing to do the experiment sure. with me? So you're going to hear. On, I'm going to raise
0: my microphone again. Yes,
1: go ahead for sure. And Chris, you're probably going to edit out like half of our stuff. So so sorry for. Taking no, no, so this is space. going the way
0: it's going. Yeah, I'm, I'm I testing love that. my new setup,
1: and that's sort of a how I roll. Is uh, let's see what emerges when we talk. So. What is your daughter's first name? Jasmine. Oh, I, oh, Jasmine! That's so so sweet. I like that. Okay, so close your eyes. Um, take like I like those twice breaths. So I'll uh, oh, uh, open your eyes for a moment and look at me. I'll do the breaths and copy me okay. at that point. So one, two, three. <laughs> exhale so we'll do this your eyes closed for a moment and we'll do two that's it okay it will probably calm the system down so do inhale inhale again keep it in exhale and now try to picture jasmine this morning Nothing. Nothing. So when was the last image you had you have in your mind with Jasmine?
0: Like mental image? Yeah or like something you can conjure up a mental image right now. Um well you can't, but um I don't know, she was laying on the floor, on her little baby thingy. That's about all. (laughs) Yeah? How did you feel? Good. Joy? Always. So
1: think of that joy and think about her now. How do you feel?
0: Feel all right. All right.
1: <laughs> but I, I don't you can open, her. you can open
0: your eyes. Now. But I don't picture her. Like you I don't, don't see a, I don't her. see a physical like a like a manifestation of her yeah. in my image.
1: So that's what you're telling me. So it's yeah. the the difficulty to have your brain to picture something like yeah. the vision. There. Yeah.
0: But when I dream, I can picture things if I remember the dream. So it means but. that it, it's probably something you could try and practice. Okay. Because if you can dream it, you can imagine it and there's a uh, psychotherapy one oh one and one uh, and <laughs> <laughs> how to self self-regulate at that point. But thank you, Chris, for being a, a great Guinea pig on no this. No problem. One. Um, so how, how, how do you deal with discomfort? Like what's, what's a mindset strategies we could think of when dealing with discomfort on the bike, whether it's, you know, saddle sores or a twerk, uh, like a twitching knee or yeah, um, yeah. the balls of your feet, the flats, of your feet, whatever.
1: Totally blisters. everything. Yeah. Uh, there's no one size fit all on this. There's what works best for you. So I think I've heard you say that, uh, when you go on long trips, you do one day, bib, one day, no bib. So that's, that would, be I have helpful. done
0: that. Yeah. This, and
1: it's something that you,
0: I, I haven't done it since 2020, but I'm probably going to do that again this year as an F attempt. So to- hot, uh,
1: the, the, your wisdom is probably way better for your own experience than my wisdom on this. Um, but usually how I would go at it is, first off, I evaluate. Is it, I compare to other times when I had a saddle sore, for example. So is, is it starting early or is it, because it starts, for me, saddle sores, it always starts a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I know that feeling that, that oh, it's coming and there's going to be a saddle there's sore. Can, yeah. And then I readjust and then I'm very mindful. And this is the exercise we were talking about earlier, where we have attention on something and bring vigilance to it. So that's how I go about it. I have attention to the the saddle sore, but I get my vigilance on the image. What we did earlier when I asked you to picture Jasmine. Sure. That was vigilance. I was trying to tell your brain to bring your attention there in order to have the benefits of a secure attachment relationship um and if we practice that it actually helps a lot so at that moment i would bring my focus to that but i use relationships again Mm. okay um like i'm and it's not in a fear-based approach it's more of a this feels good approach uh so i would probably make sure that it's not too serious yeah Uh, and that's the part I uh, like the chamois butter is my best friend I have to admit if Uh, you're bleeding it's too late it's too (laughs) late that's it if you're bleeding it's too late and probably at that point you have to adapt and you have more tricks than I Mm. do on this I don't pretend that I know everything on that aspect Mm. but when it happens to me uh, and if it's bleeding it's too late that's for sure but uh, I would Adapt to it. And I would bring, because after that is pain management. Mm-hmm. How do we manage pain? Um, your methods of man- managing pain are probably more uh, independent. Mine are more relational. Okay. So I manage pain by thinking about relationships a lot.
0: So think of something happy in your sense to get rid of the thoughts that, like, oh, I'm really uncomfortable
1: right now. Totally. And I'm a skeptic. So I need to have a really good argument on my brain for for my brain to accept the the thing so I cannot think about a pretty bird. Okay. Even though I, there might be a pretty bird outside, I might be mindful. Sometimes I do like the nature washing, the tree washing aspect of cycling in nature, uh, which I that's why I go on adventures this week. Uh, so I go for nature, but it works, but sometimes when it's something really um, discomfort, uh, uncomfortable, I focus on relationships. So an example would be to think of a moment with Vicky, my partner, who where we really had a great connection moment. And it needs to be connection for me. Mm. I cannot like, oh, think of, imagine a scenario where uh, we were having supper and it was a good supper. No, no, it needs to be (laughs) an actual memory because my brain, and maybe your brain is very similar Mm -hmm. to mine on this, is I cannot trick my brain.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: Well, I cannot. Probably I could, but I prefer not to. Because I want the full benefit of relationships mm-hmm. in the pain management aspect. Because when you think about a positive relationship, you're going to get uh, a healing from inside your body a little bit activated. Okay. Uh, so, no, if it's bleeding, a saddle sore, <laughs> uh, the body, the there's log- no magic here. I think when I, I did,
0: did the Log Driver's Waltz, well, by like, uh, it was less than twenty-four hours, and I don't know how it was rubbing, but I had like some bad saddle oh. sores. But like further up on the ass cheek, yeah. And so I had to start sitting further back on the... It was uncomfortable, uh, yes. but I, I rode the next two days like that, and I was like, I'm not quitting. Like, so how did you end up managing that? Um, you know, I it got to a point of where it hurt enough that it stopped being important because yes. I knew it wasn't going to go away. Yes. So I just focused on continuing to bike ride. And I said, well, it's not getting worse at the moment. So I just have to deal with it. And
1: and and, and for labor, you know that they, they do that method eh, as well. So probably you were hurting somewhere else, somewhere, I'm guessing.
0: It was probably hurting in a lot of places. Yeah. My quads were probably aching by then too. And
1: So when you bring your attention to another pain point, because mm-hmm. uh, it's a proven thing as well, uh, for labor, when we put ice on uh, the woman's chest it hurts and it diminishes the impact of the laboring pain Mm. so distraction is a great tool
0: sometimes so my dad wasn't lying because he once said like oh if you hurt yourself take a hammer and smack yourself in a baby finger you'll forget about the other pain your dad was right he's right he was right but he's right it's a proven (laughs) method i'm I'm guessing it's experiential war (laughs) Uh,
1: but it is a proven method yeah. Like if you hurt somewhere and you think about another less painful pain point, yeah, uh, your attention goes there and you're able to tolerate a lot more. And also I would argue that probably you've got a little bit of endorphins in your system that naturally is a painkiller. OK, so maybe it's killing pain a little bit, and which is why I'm trying to do that. that maybe the, the greatest contribution I can give to long distance cyclists is to start incorporating relationships in the pain management way, because we don't think about that. We think about personal management. Uh, which is normal, totally normal. You're alone on your bike if yeah. you're doing a solo uh, or if you're doing a, a, a long distance race and you're in the group. We get distracted with a bunch of things, but we don't realize I, 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 at many points we get to use, it's not because you're not with that person that that relationship doesn't keep, I'll mm-hmm. say in your heart, but in your emotions in your brain, yeah. that's the actual place. But those relationships help manage a
0: positive relationship helps manage pain. Okay. Now a question um, to to just kind of sidetrack slightly, but I think it's still on the same lines. Uh, when I did my first and only marathon, I'm not a runner by any means, and it was brutal. Kudos. And I was undertrained, um, big time, <laughs> which would have been my 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 reality as well. And suffering from a two day prior drinking binge, which <laughs> led to like a day before hangover. And <laughs> so you were
1: dehydrated. I was. As everything well. was wrong with me.
0: Um, but I found that like when I had like I was at a certain point where my body just started to cry, hmm. and so it wasn't something I could not control. It was just tears coming down my eyes. Now. Some people, I don't think I was thinking of anything in particular, mm. but I know some people have said, you know, just hearing a certain song while they're out on a long yes. adventure and it just activates emotions. Yes. What's going on? And is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? Or
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like that I'm going to be the, the evaluator of the good versus bad. Uh, in your case, again, see, I'm always throwing back the questions to you, okay? and sure. in, in that moment, um, how did you... How did you feel after you crying?
0: I don't know if I felt any better or worse. I, th- I felt shitty the whole time. I think I was yeah. at like kilometer twenty seven, yeah. thirty two, somewhere around there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I remember, like I, I, was barely hobbling forward, and there was just tears streaming on my face, and people looking at me because it was in Kuala Lumpur, so there was yeah. thousands and thousands of people around there, like, Insane. oh, look at that guy, <laughs> like he looks miserable, <laughs> oh, you know, yes. literally miserable. <laughs> so probably at that point, it was
1: not a joyous feeling, so mm-hmm. that might have triggered a little bit um, adrenaline. Depending, but if I'm you- wondering
0: if, like, did it give me a boost? Like, I, I, it, probably I probably, it probably did. It probably did. Probably, I feel if I feel like that moment of. Fragility, maybe, yeah, um, kind of gave me a boost where all of a sudden I felt energized and I was able to run faster. Totally, because uh,
1: that's what I was, I was. That's why I asked in a the sense question. of maybe
0: embarrassment or something or like so, yeah, self consciousness Which
1: is the more the more negative emotions will trigger the adrenaline. So that's why I was asking Mm-kay. the question earlier because uh, if it's like positive, like joy, or you're you're so happy at that point that you made it to that level, then you're crying not because of your uh, your anger fear mm. disappointment you're crying because you're happy it's you're going to be boosted both ways that's what i'm saying today yeah. you're going to be boosted both ways it's just the the first one with a positive emotion uh it ups the level of testosterone in your body okay testosterone is not linked to anger it's a misconception, and if you listen to Andrew Andrew Huberman on this, he has a great uh, podcast on testosterone and pain and and performance. Okay, What's and the there's name a of the podcast? Uh, it's the Huberman Lab. Oh, the Huberman Lab. Okay, very good, uh, very good podcast. And again, I listened to it because of my my co host and friend Matt Search who re- suggested it, and it's neuroscience. So they talk about the impacts of neurotransmitters and hormones on your body. So that makes, uh, there's a lot of great discussions there. And one of the discussions was testosterone is not linked to aggressivity. It's linked to energy. So if you're angry and the levels of testosterone go up, chances are you're going to activate a little bit too much adrenaline. Uh, And then that depletes. So the crying example of running and crying, it depends on the emotion that it's linked to. If it's linked to joy, then you're going to have more endorphins. You're going to have more serotonin. You're going to have a, a better cocktail. It's like having okay. a fruit juice or an energy drink. Right. It's the, uh, the equivalent of that. You have an energy drink when you're almost depleted and you want to perform for the last stretch. And I'm not in the well, energy you don't do dr- it
0: early. <laughs> you
1: don't drink it early because yeah. if you do, what will happen? You're going to crash big time. Big time. So bonk, whatever the experience we want to call it there. But the crying part is very common. There's like a bigger sense of self also when we run those great distances for the first time. Uh, Yes, you might have been having a few too too many drinks, but I'm sure you've invested a lot of time still training for that event.
0: I didn't really though. I just said I'm going to go run a marathon. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I ran more than ten k. So, for the brand. So
1: probably <laughs> translatable skill. Then Chris, I'm guessing you probably had, were you cycling back then. Yeah, so that's why. Yeah, cycling a lot. So you you just did what a cyclist do. So I've got the cardio. I can go run a marathon. Well,
0: I remember what, like uh, Ryan Van Duser, who was yes. on the podcast recently. He yes. said, you know, I really believe anybody can run a marathon. You know, and it, it's just how much you're going to suffer for because of training. But you can still run it. You can still finish it. It's mindset. Yes. But it doesn't mean you're going to have a good time.
1: Yes. (laughs) Type two fun? Yeah. Maybe (laughs) three. Type three. (laughs) This sounds like type three a little bit. Uh, There's a
0: reason I never did another marathon. (laughs) Yes.
1: And at the same time, that experience is is very normal. Like, there's this breaking point in doing a new thing for a long extended period. Because I did run before I, I, I... I became. A I was cyclist. doing a lot of
0: triathlon at the time, so I, I was doing running and so swimming, but it was
1: it was not totally new. Runs. Yeah, exactly. That's it. So, and I know for me, when I run, when I ran, I don't run anymore. When I ran long distances, my um, my mindset was, oh, this is expanding my experience of what it is to run. So, when I run, when I come to a number, a set number, and run maybe like I might 25 kilometers, for example, running, which is I don't do that often. Yeah. It, in my mind, it will play something. Mm-hmm. So, that'll be the first time that I exceed that mark. So, guideposts are very important in those situations. It can also
0: be a bit of a crutch, though, right? Like, I mean, in this, or a hindrance yes. in the sense that, like, you, you maybe. I, I guess you could kind of train, your body can train itself to think that, oh, every time I hit kilometer 28, I'm going to be really suffering. And so, therefore, you allow yourself to mentally totally. suffer, right?
1: You're you're totally preparing the worst scenario. And we have selective attention. So, and especially when we do those type of physical activities, we do have selective attention because we cannot process everything at the same time. So, yeah. part of
0: it is figuring out how to get past that. Totally. That hilltop or where you you tell yourself I can do this, I can get there.
1: Yes. And small <clears throat>
0: goals at that
1: mm-hmm. point. I, I know for me that it works a lot when I go long distance and I, I'm about to cross a milestone. It's always small goals at that point. So I, it's much more palatable, but I'm sure you could probably teach me a little bit better on this than I could teach you on this. Cause you have more experience than I do with the long distance yeah. stuff, but I tend to take smaller goals. And it, it, I'm always encouraged mm-hmm. so at that point, my mindset is I'm looking for encouragement, I'm not looking to survive yeah, so I'm looking for encouragement so that's a, a that's a my a, my approach I've always kind of
0: gone on the uh, if somebody else can do it, I can do it yeah comparison. Um, i when i did the the west coast cycling there i did a hundred i averaged one hundred and ninety k a day which is um good. one day was three forty three had a tailwind with the prairies yeah. it's pretty flat yeah um but you know i I never knew at that point that i was going to start bike packing like to mm. the point where i'm doing these you know eight hundred kilometer loops and totally. And I, I find a specific joy in accomplishing something that that's that huge. Yes. Um, I would say 99% of people don't want to race an 800 kilometer loop. Yeah. I find a joy in it. I don't know why. Uh-huh. Um, I like to push my body and see what I can, what I can accomplish. Yeah. But going into the BT 700, which was the first one mm-hmm. I did, I had never done more than 300 kilometers straight. Yep. Like, in, or sorry, I did one 300 kilometer loop yep. in training and i was like oh, okay if i can do 300 i could do 800 like and, could, that's and that was it i that's was just it. going for it and, and translatable skills again so
1: if i have acquired a set amount of skills then i can do this it's about repeating mm-hmm. rather yeah. than the new thing but yeah that's that's a great way of looking at it you get the, you prepare and then yeah. you adapt to this but I find
0: I can't think about like how much further I have to go. Like okay. when I'm into it, if I'm 200 kilometers in, and I think about the fact that holy shit, I still have 600 k to go. Yeah, man, it crushes me. You know, oh like, yes, yes, I I have to look at it in like little steps. Like okay, me so too. 100 kilometers from now, there's a cool section of single track. That's yeah. going to be fun. Yeah, let's get there. Let's do it. And, see and this then is I'm exactly like, oh, the blue mountains, I hate climbing. <laughs> like that was a little bit self-destructive. But when I was getting through it, I was like, sweet, some awesome downhills, you know? Yeah,
1: And as soon as you get and that's a, a great example of it. This encourages me. It's the same thing. I'm, I'm, I'm like you there. Uh, I use relationships uh, in other moments, like when uh, most people would give up mm-hmm. and I want to have this sort of a natural boost. Yeah to continue but you're right those moments like i use the same i I have the same method as you
0: and i think it also comes back to some daddy issues you know like i I grew (laughs) up with a military father and he was like you never finish anything you pussy you know oh yeah and so i was like i'm not gonna stop because yeah fuck them you know
1: (laughs) But see you're able to, to have an image in your mind the image was your dad it's just it's just that voluntarily
0: yeah. Not a, not a physical image, but no, a, like an a image. Thoughts. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: Cause this is our greatest strength. Imagination. Mm-hmm. like we can imagine good scenarios we can imagine bad scenarios we can go in our memory and conjure up a new scenario because that's not your dad that yeah. in that moment yeah. it's an image of your dad and then i'm sure you guys have i'm speaking in his mic right now so i'm pretty sure you have a great relationship if I had to talk
0: to him though that's exactly what he would have said <laughs> yeah maybe again and again that's great motivation but we do have a great relationship
1: yes you do yeah. i can tell that yeah. right off the bat so See that's that's an example of a positive relationship where somebody's giving you an, an encouragement, even though it's using fear, which you can shift. Yeah, uh, probably, and I'm guessing maybe you're the different method that I use that is different from yours and i'm not an expert on long distances i'm a graveler i do day events that's what i do
0: i think we're so, gonna go riding next wednesday yeah i'm
1: down to ride with yeah, you. yeah cool i would love to do that I have to wash my bike but. yeah
0: yeah me too i, I
1: you <laughs> didn't look too too closely at my bike he's, he's, he's criticizing his bike but my bike <laughs> is really dirty uh, right now and today's a slow day for me so i'm glad i'm glad okay. like doing a podcast and going biking afterwards that's life like i'm listening to my doctor right now so but the the point is you have this capacity i don't believe like when people try to convince me that even earlier you tried to convince me about the image thing yeah for your benefit i didn't believe you
0: okay i guess for me it's like it's not the fact that i can't imagine scenarios or things yes it's I, th- I thought that like, images are directly linked to yes. shutting your eyes and actually having a physical picture of uh to- you know, Totally. It's and it's not and the I, same, right? It's so, not the same. It's like uh, imagination is not only an image. Yeah, I guess if you had no imagination, probably nobody has that. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's somebody out there. But. Not that I know of <laughs> yeah. personally, because uh, imagination is our
1: greatest strength and our greatest weakness. And we don't realize how much we use imagination when we are on the bike like we imagine scenarios mm-hmm. do like, Oh, this, there's this uh, corner that if I go hot, I'm going to crash, but you're not actually in that corner. Right. You're trying to imagine what it is going to be, predicting, predicting outcomes and predicting outcomes is using imagination. Okay. So in a very sophisticated way. So talking about that.
0: imagination, let's yeah. talk about fear. Um, yes. Cause totally. I, I know, I, I know I brought it up and you mentioned it briefly. Um, I guess there's a lot of different types of fears people might deal with. Yes. Um, first one, actually, I want to talk about is family fear. So I guess it, it ties in well with bike yes. packing and bike touring as well, particularly bike touring, because I've had a lot of people say they've gone for a bike tour around the world for a year or two years or even six months or whatever. Yes. And one of the things is their families always have this fear that they're going to get hit by a car. They're going to, my wife's big fear is I'm going to get eaten by a bear. Yes. Um, I told her, there's a better chance of it being a moose. Now she's like, Oh fuck, there's moose out there too. You're not yeah. going out. You know? Yeah. And um, I totally understand. Um, so how do we address that? And how, what are some ways that we can, from know,
1: which perspective do you want to address it? That, that maybe would,
0: how we can help the person who, who how is us the cyclists can help yeah. our,
1: our partners. Yes. Okay. So, um, Me and my partner, it's funny because my partner is a co-host as well on our Mm -hmm. our podcast. And I think what we bring as a couple is we're trying to show people that you get to be a passionate cyclist. Even though you're not a pro cyclist, I'm not a pro cyclist, she's not a pro cyclist. But we love cycling nonetheless. Mm. Uh, And we use our relationship in order to sort of influence a little bit positively the culture of cycling. Because sometimes I I feel like we're a little bit... (laughs) Used to being solo people, right? Very independent. So we forget that sometimes it is our duty to take care of our relationships at the same time. So I, I I've, I've decided to humoristically call um, partners of cyclists uh, cycling widows. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because for for some, it's. An enormous amount of time. How do we reassure our partner when we leave? Because we take us out of the equation. So a a great thing, it depends on the partner. Some partners are, they're very calm. They're very like um, calm, but they, they will not say they have fear. It's like more the avoidant type. Some partners are more preoccupied. So they have high anxiety, but very close. Um, so that's sort of the attachment approach that we get to use with partners. So the best way to be with a partner at that point is to be secure. Like, because your partner in that moment is using imagination. Yeah. She's like anticipating, oh, there's a moose oh worst fuck. case scenario worst man. case scenario, and we do have selective attention as partners, so for instance, if I would be a partner and Vicky would leave uh my worst fear for her is that she's a, a she's a woman, she's alone, she's in the woods mm-hmm. and somebody comes and Something something terrible happens, like being raped or something. Uh, That's my worst fear. But I'm very aware that this is my fear. It's not hers. Mm -hmm. Her fear would be to have a flat tire.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah.
1: Her fear would be um, to not make it on time, like time management part. So your partner with the moose and bears is physical fear. And she's observing that, you know what, what you're doing is not common. And I have fear for that. So how do we address that as a, as a cyclist? Uh, My approach would be to, to validate that person. To say, you know what, you're totally entitled to being afraid when I leave. And to show curiosity to our partner, show compassion at that point. Because, for real, we're asking of our partners to sacrifice themselves for us, yeah, let's be honest, especially
0: like, like in my situation, she's not nearly as the cyclist I am, so yes, like it's not a i I think maybe Vicky shares your passion yeah well Vicky's not, to a, a large degree Vicky's
1: like is like your partner, okay she's like your partner she's she doesn't cycle as much as as I do because she doesn't have the same time, and she yeah. doesn't have a medical doctor telling her that she has to cycle
0: exactly but
1: doctor's note doctor's note but the thing is is you're right we've come to an understanding in our couple that i understand that she's sacrificing time and energy for me to go do my thing yeah and and it's funny because i asked her our last podcast is vicky and i and i asked her that question flat out like i've never noticed but you don't freak out when i leave why is that or you're not a cycling widow. Why is that? And she answered me, because you take care of our relationship. Mm. So when you leave, I feel that you're not abandoning us.
0: You're taking off the uh, social emotional needs of her totally. before, your before and after. And totally. Well, right?
1: she, that's the answer she gave yeah. me. Like, I feel like you're with us even though you're not with us.
0: Yeah, see, that's where I suffer a bit is I... I get so focused on the bike ride that I'll forget to check in. and Totally. Like, and she's like, don't you care about our baby? me?" I mean, I'm like, of course I do. I'm like, of course. but I'm, I'm I'm in a zone and I, I forget. And the next thing you know, I'm like, oh, hours have gone by. You
1: know? And a great method for that comment. And I I hope your partner listens to this and she's like, oh man, that guy is annoying. <laughs> but I'm sure she the will. thing for, for, for your partner, what's your partner's first name? SEMA. SEMA. So the thing for SEMA is to... Just to say, you know what? I, I'm there. I love you guys. And I'm not taking unnecessary risks mm. right now.
0: That's exactly it, Seema. I'm there. love you guys. Oh, Not taking unnecessary risks. <laughs> See,
1: I, I, I'm glad for you, you too. Because I think as cyclists, we need to take care of our relationships. Mm. We are not alone. Yeah. Even though we think in, in doing those adventures and long distance, we get alone. At least physically, a lot of the times. And
0: I prefer, I mean, typically I ride alone and like I, I, oh, I find a lot of good in it. And um maybe because I push myself sometimes. And when I'm with like last year when I was doing the BT700, I, I started off with a buddy of mine, Carl. And you know, his negative words and voices were getting to me. And yes, and, and I knew he was struggling, but at the same time, I couldn't handle it. Like, I. And not, nothing against him. Like, that was no, the way totally. he was expressing his struggles meant physically and maybe, like, you know, not mentally, but, I mean... No, no, no. Because he was tired and stuff. Well,
1: it, it's mentally normal. Like, uh, when you do physical activities like that, you're going to have a mental
0: aspect to it. Yeah. Like, you cannot dissociate body. And, know, when, like. and when I lose my shit a little bit, I'm by myself, <laughs> at least. Yeah. And, and it happens to everybody. But I'm like, I couldn't handle
1: dealing because with somebody else's at that point you're hypermentalizing. Hypermentalizing mm-hmm. is being overwhelmed by emotions yeah. so we have our own struggle and then mm-hmm. we don't realize but the other person is reinforcing our own struggles at yeah. that moment and i guess that's
0: why like negative voices from one can like make somebody else quit a race or an event totally. right like when you look at like the uh, what's it called the, um what was the, the TV show there? Adventure race thing. Um, um, uh, I forget. Anyways, yeah. um, you could see teams collapse because yes. one person was so negative. The other one just gave up. Totally.
1: And that, that breaking point, it's usually um, relational. Hmm. If you notice that in those type of environments, as soon as there's more than one pe- one person one pe- uh, in those structures, when you look at that, like, the most contagious thing in group settings is anger and anxiety. The best remedy for that is joy and empathy. Yeah. So, at that moment, the best way to manage, with your your friend Carl at that point, sorry, Carl, you're our guinea pig for the next moment, no um, is to show empathy. Even though you might not agree, but it's, it's, it's just to say, you know what, buddy, it's okay. Like, you have a right to be frustrated yeah. right now. okay. you give validation to that Mm -hmm. system and once you give that it might not have an effect immediately because we often look for immediate effect but maybe that extra mile there it's because you showed empathy you showed compassion you just given him a non-adrenaline boost emotionally so
0: one of the things and that would translate to like when i'm obviously cycling with Seema or something because yes. she doesn't have the, the, the ability that I have. No, that's and I'm it. I'm slowing down and, and I see her struggle. You just got to, like you said, empty. And right? she's
1: trying to catch up. And there's like, as a cyclist who's, who's not the best cyclist in my groups, usually, it's, I need to be mindful of not self-attacking because I'm not performing like my group of friends. Mm. And you've probably been there with more experienced cyclists, where you're trying to catch up all the ride through. Yeah, it's not a fun feeling. No. So Sima, I, I I got your back on this. <laughs>
0: well, uh, I, I, we've came to a solution when we biked to the yes. city and back. I carried all the bags; she had nothing. Perfect. And now I have the stroller, the dog, the, the <gasps> chariot. Yeah. I have the dog who's going to be on a ra- basket <laughs> in the back of the rack and bags so you're gonna do like family Ego-Lex.
1: adventures we're
0: gonna do some we're, we bought the camper we're gonna do a trip out west this summer yes. and then we're gonna just do like some micro bikepacking adventures i don't uh, know if they'll be overnight or not yet we haven't decided but it's probably not like, i'll be, be listening day trips. listening intensely to that yeah
1: are, are you going to record? yeah there'll me? be little
0: whenever we do something well i'll just do like a little ride cast yeah recapping the day and stuff <sighs>
1: So I'll be listening to that for sure, because this is something I'm trying to imagine for my family, Mm -hmm. but my kids probably are like their dad a little bit. They're not yet in love with cycling. Okay. So I will not force it on them. Uh, and this is why I'm a good coach in snowboarding. I used to coach a lot of people, uh, uh, skateboarding, same thing, cycling, new people come to me often because they feel like I have a, a heart, a kind heart, and I accept where they are. So, and I, it's not, they don't feel like I'm performing, even though I might be handicapping myself for that person to yeah. have a good time. And I'm sure you've done that also. Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> but, not in a in a disgruntled way, but yeah, yes, definitely just totally. the joy of being together. Hold on, I'm going to adjust this mic again.
1: Totally. So yeah, the, the, my experience with Vicky, that, that's, that's it. I'm... We are b- aware of, and she's a psychotherapist as well. So I have to admit, so we're two psychotherapists in a couple. So we understand the the impact of compassion, and now encouragement is useful.
0: All right, and I think we're running to the towards the end of my stuff, but um, nice. with regards to fear, one last thing. Um, yes, let's, like, go back to let's that. talk about personal fear. So I yes. think like we were we kind of addressed the fear of others and how we can re- re- encourage them and yeah. get help them. Totally make sense of their fears um what about for our own fears you know whether it's you know like you said vicky getting a flat or yeah. camping in the woods at night alone and you know you hear all those forest sounds and it's 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 a lot it's a lot um, it, it's, over, the it's
1: overwhelming mm-hmm. uh, and this is why it's sort of what i recommend to people and that's what i plan on doing as well because I'm planning this bike trip as well. So I'm trying to make sure I'm stored of I'm putting it out there. So I'm obligated to do it afterwards. Yeah. So that's it. Uh, but on my experience, and I'm, I'm going to make mistakes on this, like everyone else. First off is giving me the right to make a mistake as long as it's not, it's not dangerous. Uh, second part, if you go out West, it's not the same experience as going out East. That's right. Uh, and having like those bears and everything, making sure that you manage risk this way is totally normal. Um, I think it's to be ready to adapt. Being ready to adapt, it means that you have to sacrifice time sleeping sometimes. Yeah. Um, getting also, I, there's like, before leaving don't neglect your mind okay uh what works at home will probably work there so what i mean by that is uh sort of my preparation is what is a sure fire way when i'm afraid that this will bring me calmness a little bit more um so some of the stuff is meditation uh i'm a little bit of a spiritual person. I'm not, I'm not that common, but my spirituality helps me in those moments. Uh, If you are not, by the way, spirituality doesn't mean religious. It means believing in something bigger. Mm. Uh, For me, spirituality, that's what it means. Believing in something bigger. In those moments where I tend to be very centered on myself and my fear, believing in something bigger can be a, a, a group of friends. Okay. Uh, can be even nature reminding myself that I wanted to do this, my will wanted to do this, so I wanted it. so and it's to accept, not endorse. Yeah. So a great technique that's learned that's uh, taught with clients in psychotherapy is radical acceptance. Which is what? Radical acceptance means uh, it's coined by Marshall Linehan, who helps people with uh, borderline personality disorders. Which the main problem with borderline personality disorders is self regulation of emotions. Mm-hmm. So she gives them tips and tricks on how to self regulate, calm down essentially, uh, in moments where they're highly sensitive. Like, uh, more sensitive than people. So one of the tricks is she came with the approach of radical acceptance. So radical acceptance is a sort of a mindfulness technique where you, um, let's say that you are cycling in the woods. And <laughs> you're at night. So what would be your worst trigger, uh, Chris for you?
0: I'm, um, I, I don't think I, Oh, uh, you, you know, know what it of? is? Dogs. Dogs. When I was, uh, I was cycling, Somewhere towards Charvet Lake when I did the log driver's waltz and it had to be like two in the morning. Yes. And all of a sudden I was passing his farm and I heard, man, it sounded like Cujo, you know? Yeah. It was a big dog and it was it was it was vicious sounding and barking and I could hear it running. And I started accelerating. And I had to be going forty five kilometers an hour. As tired as I was, it was like full on fear adrenaline kicking in. Totally. And and I don't know when I slowed down, but mm-hmm. I, that dog was long, long gone behind me. Like, but in my mind, he was still right on my heels. And like, yes. and it's dark, and I can't look back and see where this dog is. Right? And totally. You he just hear <laughs> and <laughs> fuck, it was scary. Totally, that's
1: very scary. And and the the management of your uh, of self at that point would not be in that moment because you did what you needed to do at that moment to survive or at least to come uh, come less. Uh, less hurt from that moment. Let's be honest. So uh, it it's probably comes like 15 minutes after that mm. where you start managing yourself again and you need to regroup yeah, it was in wild. order to continue advancing. So the radical acceptance part.
0: And I think I hit a bit of a wall after that when my adrenaline went down. I was just like, oh man, am I tired, you know? like Totally
1: true. And
0: then I was getting into some rough trail and I was really like, Ugh. depressed but
1: so how long did you go uh, go go on riding at that
0: point after that yeah um probably another three or four hours before i tried to stop for about 40 minutes and then i rode for another day and a half
1: how was your performance for the next three to four hours
0: uh, well i actually commented recently on it somebody was posting about the bathhurst line and i said all i remember from that is the roughest shittiest trail but it looks really nice in pictures so okay. i think probably it was a lot better than i thought <laughs> but i was miserable and Okay. Yeah. So this is how we would apply radical acceptance in your example.
1: At that point, it's to you never anticipated that a, a rabid dog would go after you, right? Eh? No. And you, like we said earlier, we don't want too much adrenaline unless it's at the end. So at that point, I would actually be mindful of myself and say, you know what? This is part of adventure cycling. This is part of long distance. I cannot control a dog that runs after me. Mm -hmm. So therefore, in my mind, I repeat that until I accept it. Radical acceptance is you accept everything. It doesn't mean endorse. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you don't have to be frustrated at the owner that doesn't put his dog on the leash or doesn't tie up his angry dog at night. Yeah, Uh, Because in our mind, we're going to... Use our imagination. There probably
0: was a farm fence or something too. Like I just don't know. You know. Like, and and you know what? But even then,
1: if if a dog runs after you and he's in the road, it's sort of the owner's responsibility. So a normal reaction to that would be to get angry at the owner for not tying his dog down, and maybe the dog was. I didn't even consider
0: that. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah. So
1: so, but that's a a plausible scenario. That's what I mean by that. So probably it's the other scenarios that keeps provoking adrenaline oh my gosh, I almost died. Oh my gosh. And because we tend to get into that non-acceptance, yeah. try to have control in our yeah, mind. Yeah. So radical acceptance is a great application of that. And say, you know what? I accept that this is what happened, but I, I don't have to agree with it. Mm. So just by doing that in our mind repeatedly, you start, of, you start to let go a little bit. You become more calm um because when we're on the fight or flight mode you were in fight flight mode at that point for two three hours it's hard on your system so and it's hard on any system which is normal yeah so uh, adventure cyclists are more used to that because it's like part of the game so you need to reconnect with that sense of this is part of the game i have to mm-hmm. accept that part in order to have the benefits of the other part yeah
0: i remember when i was in um Oh, I forget where, but the start of the Cassiar Highway in British Columbia, and we're at a, the one gas station, the last one before you're going to lose reception, five kilometers later, there's no oh, wow. cell phone reception for wow. 500-something kilometers. Yeah. And somebody's like, you guys aren't seriously going to ride up that road, are you? You know how many, there's like 5,000 grizzly bears in these mountain range alone, oh, man. and let alone all the black bears, and we're like, yeah, we're going to go into, yeah. but then we were a little bit paranoid, and we're like, oh shit, like, what are we doing, you know? <laughs> Uh, I never saw a grizzly. I saw about 35 black bears in yeah. those four or five days. Um, yeah. But yeah, people like people also will put the fear into you, you know, if you let their... their
1: and that's voices. it. And again, it's about asking yourself your why. Why am I doing this? Or why are they scared? Or Yeah, scared. but it's only going to fix their problem.
0: Yeah.
1: You can use that, but I would suggest to reconnect with that sense of why, why am I doing this right now? Cause I'm sure you anticipated the grizzly oh, yeah, bears before be bears, yeah. you probably have like this siren or this, I had, bear, horn, I had
0: bear spray. I had, yeah.
1: That's it. You had the equipment and were you ready to use it in case it would happen?
0: Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, obviously ready to use it. I don't know how effective it would be. But, uh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and this is, a, this is where others experience is very important, but, this is the moment where you reconnect with your why again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Why am I doing this? I'm I'm cycling because I want to survive and be there for my kids. So I I love this. Each time I do something, an event or something, this plays out. Mm-hmm. Like I I'm going to ask myself, "LP, why are you, why are you doing this?" Like it doesn't matter other people's why it's my why at that point right and it keeps me moving keeps me pedaling a little bit so that's the part i this is this is why we did a why episode as well and we we were talking about our our personal whys for the podcast but my Mm. personal whys is to help people grow so that they're better
0: so i have exactly 10 minutes left on this sd card do you want to tell us uh, a little bit about your podcast and um totally and then i'll Record the ending later.
1: Yeah. Uh, my, our podcast is Overcome Cafe. Tales tells of mind, body, and relationship. Uh, it's our first year. So we are Vicky, my partner, Vicky Lambrew, who's a, a, a counselor for the, gov- the federal government. There's me. Uh, I'm L.P. Landry, a psychotherapist and cyclist. Uh, I call myself a cyclist. That is funny. It's my new identity.
0: It is. Yeah.
1: Uh, and Matt Church, who is a master's in elite level cyclist as well. So we talk about the mix between philosophy, psychotherapy, emotional management, and cycling, how it plays uh, together. Um, we also have a DM a therapist segment that we use. So people asks me, ask me questions like we did today uh, on how to better manage their emotions, how to better manage their relationships, so that's our podcast. Uh, this is awesome. what
0: we offer. And you live here in beautiful Chelsea. And, and how many episodes have you guys recorded so far?
1: Uh, we're up to episode eight. We're about nice. to. We're launching two more for this season and taking a break over the summer okay. because uh, we're summer. We're, summer, yeah. summer is summer, and then we do want to cycle yeah. as well, and uh, coming back in the fall so we can. So can't wait for that part. So we're doing a bunch of recording as well. Cool. We're trying to uh, do a little bit of preemptive recording at this point.
0: Awesome. Well, LP Louis Philippe, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Um, I hope you enjoyed the. Uh, you know, it was an hour forty five minutes. I know. Great, I love yeah. talking. It goes fast. No, no, it's great. <laughs> it's like you'd hardly realize how much time goes by when you're when you're sitting there. So, I guess this is my
1: contribution to how I can help cycling. So, we have great conversations. Yeah, I appreciate it.
0: All right. Thank you and uh, keep on pedaling. Thank you. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode with uh Louis Philippe Landry, host of the podcast, uh, <laughs> Overcome Cafe. I don't know. I forgot the name already. Um, anyways, I I hope you guys enjoyed it. it was a, it was a different kind of podcast. It was it was a, a lot, even uh, for me, just to you know some of the discussions we entered into and stuff. It was it was a little bit weird to to feel like talking about those live on a podcast. But I think that hey, that's what's all about. You guys you guys want to know me. You want to know me for who I am. And I think that. Having this discussion and talking about mindset, vulnerability, overcoming fears was uh, well, it's a great way to give you guys more perspective into me and myself as an athlete and things and tips and tricks that might just help, uh, help you in general when you're out there and you're on your adventures. So, hope you enjoyed and uh, see you next time. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me to keep going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have comments or questions, you can email me at chris at biketouradventures.com or go to the website biketouradventures.com and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, blog posts, videos, and the touring tips page. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you're enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bike tour adventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, helping me to cover the costs associated with running the show. Buy new equipment when necessary, and continue to produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on peddling. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project, and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca. Or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated and keep on peddling.